We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land throughout Australia on which we are recording. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Doyen Interviews, the podcast that speaks to inspiring women from the art, architecture and design world. I'm Bridget Nathan and I'm glad you've tuned in. Thank you also to Anon for the beautiful introductory music. The last time it was just about the first woman <laughs> to get into school or to graduate from law school or to get to the bar or to become a judge that or you know to head a million dollar business or to make a board member that that's the era that we've been in where we are in 2020 is now not and and the last hundred years because it was about firsts it was about fitting into the male model and that was the male model of architecture that was the male model of dressing and that was the male model of how the day functioned hello and welcome to the next episode of the doyen interviews today we are lucky to be spending the morning with susan damaze an acclaimed international fashion designer susan has been operating out of melbourne cbd for the past 30 years and has recently moved her atelier material byproduct to the countryside Susan speaks to us about her experiences in going down both the venture capital track as well as formulating private client memberships through which she has created a unique niche business and fashion house. Focusing on the creative potential and material development of her clients' relationships to art, fashion and self-expression, Susan's outlook and teachings bring together creatives, entrepreneurs and artisans through the art of gathering. The big question that I am constantly hearing at the moment is, what will the world look like in a post-COVID era? Will we turn up to work in the same way that we always did? Or will workplaces become centralised nodes in which we gather and exchange ideas in a way that we can't virtually? Will the virtual become a new experience? And what does this mean for what we wear? In this episode, we touch on Susan's move to online fittings, her early career growth in the international eyes and her goals for the future. During this period of introspection, so many people have been looking to the past as a way to question and challenge our current histories. I therefore took the opportunity to talk to Susan as an expert in her field about why it is we wear what we wear and where she thinks we're going. Thanks, Susan, for your time today. It would be great if you could begin with introducing yourself and discussing a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Susan DeMarcy. I am a fashion designer. I, at this point in my career, specialise in working with business women business owners, women who own their own businesses and women who basically are real badasses. You know, they might be... Um, sitting on a business that's turning over, you know, $2 million, but they're running it from their house and they're really unapologetic, unapologetic about who they are and what they do. And um, uh, they often lead an, another community of women whom they're helping in their businesses be the same, unapologetic, highly profitable and doing business and and living life on their terms. Um, and I work with these women, um, helping them access greater personal pleasure, power and profit, drawing on the tools and rituals of dress. And what that means is um, I don't start, my, my 
engagement with these women doesn't start with selling them a dress. Um, my engagement with these women starts on a consultative process. It continues on an experience through an experiential process. And for some people, it will result in me crafting custom and bespoke items for their wardrobe and crafting custom and bespoke items that are really around about their self-expression. And, and that's where, you know, we take the consultative process and we take the collaborative process and we develop um, custom and bespoke outcomes which are about their self-expression. So it completely flips the 19th and 20th century model of the genius designer on its head. Um, it's not about my vision and it's not about me plastering my brand over them. Um, it's about me using my skill set in custom and bespoke design to deliver firstly solutions and secondly an engagement which helps them express themselves better and when they express themselves better that actually has really positive impacts on how they perform in their own business um, and it actually directly impacts on improving their profitability and their power in business and it essentially takes fashion out of being a nice to have into being an essential to have to their core well-being but essential to their their effectiveness in business mm, that's amazing and when you talk about fashion and clothes and this idea of self-expression what does that mean to you as sort of yeah someone who's pretty pretty trained in that area it means really different things to me now Bridget to what it meant to me um 20 years ago and 20 years ago the trajectory for a brand like mine was, you know, you come up through, you basically come up through the indie underground, um, you grow to a certain point and then at a certain point you either become vertical and, you know, manufacture and have your own boutiques and stock your own boutiques or you wholesale to as many people as you can around the world. Um, or So an example of a vertical is Alpha 60, an example of someone that doesn't um, retail themselves but, you know, sells to as many people around the world as he can is Tony, Tony Maniszewski. These were two people that I came up through the industry with. Um, um, and look at We were at a certain point in our trajectory where we were going to Europe two, three times a year and we were meeting with, like, the directress of Hermes um, and uh, meeting with um, – influencers and decision makers like that who are saying your work is world class um so it, we were at the nexus we we're at the point in the road where we um either had to move to Europe full-time to jump on those opportunities and collaborate with Hermes and and Dries van Notten and the, the other sort of names that were coming up in the meetings that we we're having or um uh we worked for one season with someone that worked um, shoulder to shoulder in the showroom with Martin Magella um, at the time that Diesel bought 51% of the Magella company. And, um, you know, she said to me, look, you know, you need a backer, Susan, um, because you need a million dollars before you've even started doing business every season. And, and she's like, you know, look at Martin Magella. He was internationally famous. He had 30 accounts around the world. He still needed a backer because you you pay for everything you've got to pay for before you've made, before you've made any money 
it's a million dollars, you know. Um, so I, you know, I actually started down the venture capital track and, and it just, you, you know, once I sort of had my toe in that pool, I was just like, no, I don't like, I don't like where I see this going. Um, and intuitively I had a sense that this, well, I could see quite clearly it wasn't, I didn't, I could see quite clearly I didn't like where it was going, but intuitively I had a sense the world was changing. So just intuitively, I started to I, I started to work prefer, in preference with private clients that paid me a hundred percent upfront, and I maintained a hundred percent of of control. <laughs> and maybe that was control issues, and maybe I, that was me keeping myself small. But um, you know, good solid ten fifteen years later, I am very happy that I didn't continue going down that venture capital track because now I can see we're really in the thick of a tipping point where as a really small really small business that's really well niched and and now that I don't play the fashion genius game of I'm a fashion genius here's my amazing vision for the world come and buy it that Mm. I actually collaborate um really sincerely with my client base, that it is a strong and profitable business model where I can actually, I am and can continue to grow a really strong and profitable business, have full control over it, but also make much greater impact on the lives of the people that I work with, as well as the world. Mm. It's really great to hear about your background and how it's influenced where you are at the moment. Um, I know that you've had a lot of experience both as an artisan and also as a woman running her own business. How have these two themes overlapped during your career and how has this process developed in terms of your own creative outlook and working with clients? Um, Look, it's been a process of really um, unlearning a lot of things that we're taught in the academy um, and a lot of things that we're taught by the industry. Um, and doing a lot of personal development to detox from pretentiousness and to detox from um, uh, entitlement and to learn how to really serve. You know, to be a designer of any, any, in any area, whether you're an architect or a fashion designer, it is actually about serving humanity you have to be of service and you have to let go of ego and and be able to redefine what creativity is, what creativity looks like, how you express creativity and how you serve through creativity. This is the work that I do with a lot of the um, artisans that I mentor is we spend two solid weeks in the programs that I um, take my artisans through just redefining what creativity is and breaking down the genres that we are wed to. And when you go through that process of redefining creativity and, and getting rid of genre, I am a fashion designer, I am a photographer, I am an architect, you can actually really start to clearly see how you can serve humanity with your creativity. And it's got actually, you know, you've got to take your ego out of it, which is not to say that you don't offer something valuable and highly valuable but you have to take your ego out of it 
and really look at how you help people because unless we really look at how we help people, that divide between like rich and poor or between mass, 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 mass market production and the artisan is only going to get greater and only artisans can close that gap and bring more people into connection with artisanal processes and goods by getting their fucking ego out of the way and listening to what people really need and really figuring out how to help them. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for sharing those thoughts. It's super interesting. Um, I also have read on your blog, um, you talk a lot about the connection between creativity and the elixir of youth. Um, this age old question that refers to tapping into a sense of creativity and and youthfulness could you talk a little bit about this and how your work um, helps people to use creativity to lead more meaningful lives and also to have more success um, in their businesses yeah look I think if you're in touch with creative source um, you are you are you do feel youthful and youthful doesn't mean young um so you know you asked earlier about um how i see creativity now and how i work with my clients and i was talking about how it's me taking my ego out of it and getting rid of the genius designer identity and actually listening and looking to what people really need well particularly because now I work with women business owners. These are women that work incredibly hard building incredibly dynamic businesses. They don't need to be dictated to on what to wear or um, how to appear. What is really of service to them is somebody that helps them stay in touch with their creativity because if they're in touch with their creativity, they just personally feel more happy and then because they personally feel more happy and they're in touch with their creativity, they're going to be more effective in their business. Now the outcome happens to be clothes in this point, in, in my instance, but the real value to them is being in touch with their creativity. And then the impact that that creates is that they're better in their business in terms of the way I work with women now um, and because I particularly work with women business owners, um, you know, these women are really, really busy and they don't, they're intelligent enough that they really don't need someone to tell them what to look like. What's of real value to them is actually someone that helps them stay in touch with their creativity. Firstly, for pure joy of it and how the pure joy of it is going to help them feel youthful is going to be a part of their well-being secondly because if they feel in touch with their creativity and they feel vital they're going to be more effective in their business and in the more effective these women are in their businesses and they're all running really amazing interesting businesses the ripple effect of that and and how it changes the world how it changes the economic makeup of the world is where creativity starts to have real tangible value, not just as an airy-fairy thing. Mm. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts 
fun clothes and everyday costumes do you see what we wear in terms of business meetings and interactions as wearing a costume or do you see it in another way I don't see it like that but some of the people I work with do so what's really important is for me to understand how they see it I mean I I have a personal philosophy about having cohesiveness you know my personal philosophy having been a a woman running my own business for the last almost 20 years and a business where sometimes I'm you know crawling around the floor on a pattern or hauling a big bolt of fabric off a rack and then the next turning around and and presenting to someone um you know I have a I have a an expertise and a and a bent and a bias towards just having one set of clothes that function really well for you, no matter what circumstance you're in. That's that's an expertise and a bias that I have, and I'm pretty upfront about that. But the the important thing when I'm talking to a client or a member is understanding what they want. Um, so I was on a, a video conference with a client last night who was describing something that she wants which is very much a costume very much a costume like in the sense that she needed it for a certain occasion yeah very specific yeah a very and I don't do a lot of that like I, I do very in the way of occasion wear but it's interesting with this client and what she's asking me for is um it could be with the way the world is thinking, but it could be with maybe who I'm attracting is um, most of my clients do have a fairly strong spiritual element in their life. However, they're expressing that, however, they're practicing that. They have a, a, a quite a strong spiritual practice of one thing or another going on in their life, whether it's dedication to yoga or Reiki or meditation or, or a whole other whole three circles. And I kind of think that I might see, see more of this coming up in the future. Yeah. And do you think that that's touching on this idea of people tapping into things that may have been missing um, historically in our society as it's developed? Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. And actually as we're speaking, um, I think, look, take – take the woo away you know let's let's just push it to one side in a minute that whether it's about spirituality um and whatever definition category of spirituality um the i said a minute ago i don't do a, i don't really do occasion wear so to speak but i think we're in, we're in a um a time and particularly with the women that i niche into where what an occasion is is going to be redefined on um, by people and how they're living their lives moving forward. And I mentioned that a lot of the work that I do with my um, industry clients is I break down genre, the genre that they're wed to, like photography or architectural fashion. But a lot of the work I do with my private clients is also about breaking down genre in a, and it's a slightly different thing, like. You know, in your personal life, you not, might not be wed to a particular genre of like I'm, you know, I'm I'm a woman that's going to get married and have two kids and live in, in the suburbs, that um, sort of thing. But 
we do inherit a lot of um, belief systems around the way we dress and present from outdated genres. And, and like the wedding dress is, is the is a classic example, you know, like the most expensive dress I'm ever going to have is my wedding dress and I'm going to wear it once. That's a classic example of genre that's been inherited from a time gone by and from a way of existence that doesn't, it's not really relevant to modern woman running her own business. Um, but moving forward, I think we're going to see uh, more people redefine what a special occasion is to them and it's probably going to be more linked to spiritual practice. Mm, that's so interesting. Um, I'm interested to hear as well your thoughts on what the modern woman um, is interacting with in terms of what we wear and when we wear it um, and the history of our clothes. Um, what do you think some of the themes that the modern woman is grappling with when it comes to determining what we choose to wear and what we're being perhaps affected by that um, we don't know when it comes to a global market? Um, well, I think the, the thing that women are grappling with, and I've grappled with it myself, is precisely femininity. There's a lot of... I was uncomfortable with the word femininity until not that long ago. And a lot of people that I work with are also, have also been uncomfortable with identifying with the word femininity. Uh, feminism maybe, but femininity um, has been a word that it's been very commoditized. So, um, a lot of times if I ask women, ask women if they identify with the word femininity, they actually say no because of how the word's been commoditized. What but even over the last two years of asking women, you know, how you know whether they're in, whether they nurture their femininity, I've seen actually a shift and quite a rapid one even in the last twelve months where more women are claiming their femininity in whatever it means to them you know, and understanding that their femininity is not, is whatever it means to them and to be in touch with their femininity does not mean it's all pink and perfumed, for example. <laughs> so it's definitely been a shift I can see in even the last 12 months of women of all different diverse types identifying with their femininity and expressing it in in whatever it means to them. And as long as they identify as feminine, however they want to express it, is feminine. And that's a massive shift for them and it's also a massive shift in the way I work. And I think that's going to be where there's going to be massive shifts in um, how it's expressed as well in the workplace, whether women are running their own businesses or whether they're um, professionals. And that's, I think, what women are grappling with. Um, is how to express their femininity and how to take it into um, their their professional life on their terms. And one of the reasons why they're grappling with it is because we've been uncomfortable with our own femininity because 
commercial culture presents a very limited range of femininity. And even if you're into fashion and even if you're into high-level fashion, the way high-level fashion operates now, like if you're buying into a big brand, you're buying into somebody else's vision. And if you're not buying into a big brand, if you're buying into what's left of the middle market or lower market, you're buying into a derivative of someone else's vision. And so how you say what you want to say through clothing when somebody else has made all the choices for you about what you're saying and maybe at a top level, like if you're looking at a, you know, Tom Brown or a Comte de Garçon or something like that, maybe at top level you align with their vision or their, their design philosophy so you can you can codify yourself in alignment with a design philosophy if you're wearing Comte de Garçon, for example. Once you're not buying at that top level, you're buying a derivative of that top level, the context of the message is completely removed. <laughs> so all you're buying is a very washed out, um, commercialised, contextless message so how you say something non-verbally when you walk into a room is virtually impossible and what do you think some of the things that people that you're working with are saying non-verbally um through what they're wearing or through their presence um when they walk into a room well to talk about my clients um Leela Cosgrove, for example, is heavily tattooed and um, she has bootstrapped a business from zero to over two million and she's at the point in her own business where she can extract herself from the day-to-day running of the business and essentially um, operate at an executive level in her own business. It's a pretty enviable position. What she's saying through her clothes is it is really about pure self-expression and it, and through being really in touch with pure self-expression, professionally what she's saying is I'm, I'm, I am a leader and I am not even industry specific anymore. I'm not, I'm not even a leader just inside of a marketing industry. I'm a leader amongst women. And so through expressing herself and her individuality and um, her uniqueness, when she's on an international stage, whether it's like, uh, you know, TED Women or Dell Women or in a Virgin Unite function, the fact that she can express herself so unapologetically just says, I don't play by anyone's rules. I'm, I'm you know, look at what I've made. Look at what I've manifested. Look at what I've built. You know, and I've done that. I've done this not by playing anyone's rule. So that's that's one expression of femininity, and it's a really powerful expression of femininity. Other people are wanting to say, "Hey, I exist in alignment with my ethics, so I don't want to wear um, something that comes from a nameless, placeless factory." You know, I want to know where things are made. I want to know who made my things. I want to know how what my things are made from. And I want to be engaged in that process because that's who I am. 
I'm an engaged person and I'm a mindful person, I'm a conscious person and I'm an ethical person, I'm a sustainable person. You know, so that's, that's a lot of the work I do is bringing people in align in alignment with their um, values and ethics. And more specifically, recently I've, I've been working um, with women to close the gap between their professional values and their personal ethics because often in the consultation process I will ask women what their professional values are. Okay, what do you want to say when you walk into a room? What's the nonverbal messaging you want to be giving? Um, and I get the, profes- the professional values and then I ask them to answer that question again as a woman, as a woman behind closed doors, as a mother if she's a mother or as a partner or just as a woman who's, who's having a moment alone you know, who she is. And I get quite a different set of words. I get quite a different set of language. And I'm like, okay, isn't this interesting? Like you want to take more of your femininity in the room. You know that your femininity is powerful, but there's a divide in the language here that we get when you're talking about yourself professionally and when you're talking about yourself personally. So a lot of the work I'm doing right now is by actually about bringing that language together um, and bringing it's not just bringing that language together, but it's actually bringing those two separate parts of ourselves together. And then once we actually start to combine or not combine, combine is not the right word. We actually start to describe ourselves differently. Um, So rather than having one set of words that we describe ourselves professionally with and another set of words that we describe ourselves personally with is actually looking for a new language that says both at the same time, says who I am personally at the same time the same word and that gives me a new that gives me a new set of words to start building um the experience and the process what by which we can um deliver outcomes Mm. um and to look at it from another angle what do you think it's like for guys um you work a lot with women um have you worked with men before and what do you think um, some of the differences are in terms of what a woman is wearing and thinking about as opposed to what it could be like for men? Um, well, in terms of what it's like for a guy, I can't answer um, because I'm not one and I don't deal with them and actually um, up until a couple of years ago I did take on male clients um and up until maybe five or ten years ago I used to say um oh you know can't wait oh no it would be more like 10 years ago I used to say I can't wait to have a menswear line I actually really like menswear I've spent time wearing menswear myself when I was like a teenager whereas now I have actually zero desire to have a menswear line or and and I would be very 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 selective it would be a real exception for me to take on a male client because my expertise um, 20 years of measuring and crafting for women um, and look it is it is it is absolutely harder for women and it's not it's not we're not making that up I mean the thing is women only started to enter the professions as we know them today um, really in the ni- 1900 you know 1900 was when you started to see women entering the professions um, you know, in between 1900 and 1920, you started to have the 
first woman doctor, the first woman professor, the first woman aviatrix, the first woman lawyer, the first, the first, first, you know, like it's, it's, it's recent history. I often say we're not, a we, hundred years later, 2020, we're not in the era of firsts, you know, 1920 was the era of firsts. 2020, it's not about the era of the first. 2020 is about now us redefining it and doing it our way. The last time it was just about the first woman <laughs> to get into school or to graduate from law school or to get to the bar or to become a judge that or, you know, to, to, to head a million-dollar business or to make a board member. That, that's the era that we've been in. Where we are at 2020 is now not. And, and the last 100 years, because it was about firsts, it was about fitting into the male model. And that was the male model of architecture. That was the male model of dressing. And that was the male model of how the day functions. So, um, you know, that's why we did see women adopt simpler clothes. It's why what Amani offered in the early 80s, um, and I posted um, episode five of Made in Italy last night on my Facebook page, great SBS series called Made in Italy. When Amani, um, designed the power suit for women he was specifically designing clothes for women going into the professions for the first time in history really and um you have to understand that when men entered the professions when men stopped being male peacocks and when a class of aristocratic gentlemen could no longer live on the land the world changed and the the aristocrats had to start to work. So the aristocrats started to become lawyers and architects and property developers, the, the professions that architect, um, the aristocrats went into. It was also the time in fashion where men stopped being peacocks and the modern suit was invented, born, invented and evolved from. So when women started to go into the profession they adopted a variation of men's clothes to fit into the man's world but where we are in 2020 is actually on a lot of levels and this is where the pandemic's been really great is it's no longer about women fitting into the men's world it's about actually redefining this now and it's it's, it's a man and woman's world and um, I remember speaking to a a, a lawyer and, you know, she was saying, the pandemic's been just great for women law. And I said, how? And she goes, because up to now there has been, you know, a very few people controlling um, controlling or, or maintaining a balance of power. And part of the way they maintained the balance of power was saying you have to turn up and you have to be visible. So for women that means like turning up into an office you know, and being in an office nine to five, when we know that that nine to five routine is not, is just not conducive to family life and children and bringing up children. And there has been like this, you know, debate about how, oh, but how could we change it? You know, like it's impossible to change it. It's, it, you know, like this is the way the world functions. And like the pandemic made the world function in a completely new way, right? <laughs> Where you don't have nine o'clock and you don't have to be there till five o'clock and you don't have to be visible and actually talking to one of the business consultants I work with 
she's like the great thing about people working from home is you can see who's really working and who's really delivering and where the smoke and mirrors are. So, yeah, so I, I, I think in answer to your question, I don't know what the reality is for men, but I do know that the setup, whether it's in clothing or architecture or the routine of a day and what time school starts and finishes, we know this has all been set up around men, for men, and women have been fitting themselves into it and 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 you know killing themselves um to fit into it whereas expression of femininity now yeah it's going to be through clothing but it's also going to be how the day is structured it's also going to be you know how a building is structured it's going to be all of these things combined i'm super interested to see um how what you're talking about um, evolves both in terms of fashion and the relationship that what we have, what we wear has to our experiences of, of space. Um, I'm really interested to hear about your own future. Um, do you have some ideas about where you think material byproduct um, might be moving into in terms of your own um, development and, and ideas for future business growth? Or is it a project and a business that's evolving organically? Um, no, I have very um, d- definite ideas and strategies that I'm working on. Um, I've just recently um, let go of a commercial um, commercial studio that was based in 12 Collins Street. I'm now working from a house for all the reasons that we just spoke about. Um, most of the women that I'm working with in business who own, run their own businesses are choosing to work from home. Um, so that's having really interesting, um, you know, ripple effects on the way they choose to dress. I think it's going to have continue to have really interesting ripple effects on architecture and interiors in the future. Um, and I agree with you that in the future, workplaces will become more about gathering um, spaces and less about fixed I must be there every day between nine and five um, so that really also links to what I'm doing where um, I've relocated my production base to a country setting which allows me to be closer to my family and close more deeply connected to nature um, it also removes a whole level of busyness from my life unproductive busyness Um, and allows me to put that time either into developing my business or just to being a a healthier person and a healthier person is a wealthier person. Um, And so in the future, my engagement with um, Melbourne, which has been my home for 30 years, will be about gathering um, people. It won't be at a fixed address, but it will be about gathering people in in one time and one place. Um, And that becoming more of a celebration and a more of an expression of community and about creating deeper connections between people um, when we gather them rather than hurting them and obliging them to be together. <laughs> it is about gathering community and that a community in the future doesn't have to be geographically defined. A community will be defined by values, so by gathering people at a together in a community talking about a defined community but a community of, of commonly held values 
And um, so that's giving me a way of looking at engage with Melbourne in the future. And in terms of my business, you know, um, I'm as an for my business to work and collaborate with um, interesting, dynamic women business owners all over Australia and all over the world, crafting experiences for them that may result in um, deliverable outcomes for them and may just result in helping them be in touch with their creativity and femininity and just giving them that skill set that then they can go and engage with other artisans and makers um, more purposefully than they have been doing up to now. Mm. That sounds so exciting. <laughs> I can't wait to see how it all um, how it all develops. If I bring together extraordinary women business owners with extraordinary artisans and um, firstly creating power in each of those bases for each of those um, sets of people to um, be more creatively connected, that's going to have its own ripple effect. But then if I bring those two sets of people together on um, powerful entrepreneurial, socially minded businesswomen with powerful business minded artisans, if I bring those together, <laughs> we can really have a, a much broader impact on um, on the on the world and where the power sits in the world and what that what power looks like and how power expresses itself and what what power does with its power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that just sounds so so exciting and interesting. Thank you, um, Susan, so, so much for your time today. I've really learnt um, a lot. I feel like I could just um, listen to you talk um, on and on. Um, you have just so, so many great things to say and to share. And um, I've also loved watching your stories and your videos um, on Facebook. So um, thank you. And, yeah, thanks for sharing. It's been great talking to you and, and it's been a real honour and privilege to be a part of the Doyen interviews and um, I fell asleep last night listening to the Wood, Woods Baggett interview. Um, so um, thank you so much for having me as a series and, and to be amongst all these other amazing women. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you can join me next week when we have a discussion with two amazing female architects who are based in Fitzroy North, Sarah and Renee from Manny Architecture. We talk about one of their key projects, One Manny House, which has been enjoyed by many neighbours, including myself. The word Manny means hands in Italian and we're very hands-on, I guess, so working, you know, working with the materials and with the designs, doing something a little bit different that makes people either love it or hate it. We don't really want to ever do anything that's like run of the mill. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I could live there maybe. Like you sort of go, I could definitely live there or there's no way I'd ever live in that house. Like that's, um... Mm. And not taking things too seriously. Like yeah. I, know, I know we keep talking about one money, but like, you know, the bee, letterbox which was something that was pretty fun like just things like that where it's not just about fancy yeah stuff like you yeah. know like it's like stuff that's a bit fun
Yeah, yeah. Like we even that mailbox, like we got little special notes in there from little kids, and um, someone even did a little um, lino print and put it in there. They didn't sign their name or anything. They just said thank you for making us smile when we walked to school. <laughs> but then on the other end, we had um, we had neighbours who um, submitted to council to get the the letterbox removed because they said it didn't fit the streetscape yeah. it's like so one point you're getting people sort of commenting because it's making them smile and then others that are like get rid of it yeah. it's like what <laughs>